Welcome to the Full Fact Podcast, where we fight bad information one fact at a time. I'm Alexis Conran, and in this episode, we will be discussing the Full Fact Report, which looks at the causes and consequences of bad information. Of course, we also have Ask Full Fact, where you, dear listener, send in your question and have them answered. But first, I'm joined by Full Fact editor Tom Phillips, who tells us which stories Full Fact have been unpicking this week. So we saw the vaccine trial start last week, and they started with just two people, each of them being given a vaccine. One was a meningitis vaccine. The other one was the COVID-19 vaccine. They don't know which one they got, but claims already that one of them has died. This was really interesting because this was a classic piece of fake news. Now, at full fact, we try to not use the term fake news. It's become a term that just means a piece of news I disagree with rather than what it originally meant. But this is in fact a piece of fake news like there was back in the old days of 2016, if you can remember that far back in the mists of time. This was from a website that was dressed up to look like a news website, but wasn't. All of the stories on there, if you looked into this, you would see that either they were just copied and pasted true stories, but copied from other news websites, or they were just made up. If you look at the website, every single article on the website is written by the same guy. Who has actually gone to lengths to put a to put a little blue tick by his name as well. A lovely little touch there. But yeah, this this is a it's a website that has no track record at all. So yeah, this is a classic piece of fake news in the old school. It was widely shared by anti-vaccination groups, quite widely shared by QAnon, which is this conspiracy theory group mostly in America. This is one that was relatively easy to fact check because uh, Fergus Walsh, the BBC's medical correspondent, did a really nice job of fact checking it by getting her on video saying I'm alive, which, you know, as far (laughs) as proof goes, is pretty definitive. Let's move on to another piece of, of news that, again, went viral, which is a very unfortunate word to keep having to use in in current uh, circumstances. But again, uh, this is a story that was shared widely across social media, and it concerns much-loved comedy actress Jennifer Saunders, who was reportedly said to have written a piece praising the government's handling of PPE shortages. Tell us where this came from, and what Jennifer Saunders has said about it so far. Yeah, so it's worth saying this isn't written by Jennifer Saunders. Jennifer Saunders herself, she tweeted out, not by me. The official Jennifer Saunders Facebook page is not me, please ignore. So yeah, what happened here was that there is effectively a Jennifer Saunders fans Facebook page and they shared this piece of text that has been going around on Facebook. And so people saw that on a Jennifer Saunders page, thought that it was by Jennifer Saunders, and so versions of this then started circulating and go like, this was written by Jennifer Saunders. It wasn't. So uh, this doesn't feel like it was a necessarily malicious attempt to spread misinformation, but this is a really common thing, is you see things being attributed to famous people, because when something is said by a famous person, it kind of seems to carry a bit more weight to it. Churchill gets an awful lot. You see a huge number of quotes attributed to Winston Churchill online. He didn't say an awful lot of them. Let's move on to our third claim, Colonel Tom Moore. He's now raised in the vicinity of £30 million for the NHS. Unfortunately, fake news stories again uh, surrounding this valiant effort. There is a claim going around that uh, money raised by Colonel Tom Moore is only going to the NHS in England. 
Now, you've looked into this. What have you found out? So the money, it's worth saying, doesn't go directly to the NHS. It goes to a group called NHS Charities Together, which is a sort of coalition of NHS-related charities. And so NHS Charities Together works with charities in England, Scotland and Wales. And they say that funds have already been distributed from this appeal to charities in all three of those nations. They say that they didn't before this have a relationship with any charities working in Northern Ireland, but they have now built up that relationship with six organisations who have joined, and so they will be receiving money soon. So that money is going to a range of charities across all four nations. For this week's main story, we're going to focus on a study. Uh, In fact, it's a report. Uh, This was uh, uh, funded by the Nuffield Foundation. And full fact, who've been fact-checking for uh, almost 10 years now, covering three elections, an EU referendum, and the current coronavirus pandemic. They've set out in this report to find out why bad information starts, how it spreads, And most importantly, what we can do about it. And I'm delighted to say that we are joined by Full Facts' Rebecca Hill. Rebecca, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. Nice to be here. Tell us a little bit about this report. Why was it commissioned to start with? We wanted to look back at all the evidence we gathered over a decade of fact-checking, like you say, and then just sort of try and understand the harm that bad information can do and what the sort of barriers that we see, try and spot some trends and then come up with ways that we think we can tackle this. Concrete proposals for making society better, I suppose. Tell us a little bit about some of the examples that you draw up in this report. For example, when governments announce uh, new money going into certain projects, whether it be education or the NHS, you've looked into these kind of claims where there's a lot of room, for example, for uh, governments to make that new money announcement sound much more impressive than it actually is. One thing, one sort of trick that might be used is uh, the concept of re-announcing a smaller chunk that's come from a bigger previous funding pledge. And it's actually, um, it's quite, it's surprisingly hard for us to narrow down exactly which pot of money that cash comes from. And it's genuinely hard for you to find out that information. And indeed, with quite a lot of the claims. Sometimes finding that information not only takes a lot of hours and manpower, but also that information seems to be almost unavailable to you. There was an example in the report concerning some claims made about Radox, which is a, a commercially available product. What can we describe it as? You put it in your bath, don't you? To, to, or you wash yourself with it. It's soap. Bubble bath, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that uh, uh, example that you use in the report. Why was it so special? It's almost pushing the some of the problems we have to absurdity, I think, is why it's an interesting one to pull out. It's just we don't always know where to go to get the information. And in that case, we had to call 13 separate press offices to confirm that Radox probably doesn't make pregnant people spontaneously give birth. Uh, but even then, we didn't get a completely clear answer. We sort of call it press office ping pong. I can't think of anything worse than doing a fact checker's job where you get your teeth into a claim, you prove that it that there's no truth in it, you put it to bed, and just when you thought you've I've done my job, I've I've played a bit of press office ping pong, I've I've managed to put it to bed, and all of a sudden it raises its ugly head again and starts doing the round. Sometimes a little bit different, but the same claim comes back again. You have to do the same job all over again. Now I refer in the report, it did make me giggle a little bit, but it's it's claims about cabbage and EU regulations. And this claim that seems to have been doing the rounds as early as 1943, that EU regulations basically have 
26,911 words concerning cabbage. Becky, where did this come from? How this claim came to be? And why is it still with us? If you're allowed to have a a favourite fact check, this is one of mine. It's just fascinating. Um, Like you say, this is a claim that we can trace back to 1943 when a wire was sent to the Office for Price Administration and um, it criticised a rather verbose regulation about cabbage seeds. And it sort of sets out the Ten Commandments contain 297 words, the Lord's Prayer 56, the Declaration of Independence 1821, the Gettysburg Address 266, and it took an OPA lawyer 2,611 words to say cabbage seed is the seed used to grow cabbage. We think this was exaggerated (laughs) for comic effect, but the contents were reported by Reader's Digest. And then it was mentioned in the Senate... And then um, a few years later, the word count rose to 26,911. So it got quite a lot bigger. And then it spread through the media in the 50s and appeared in the 70s and the 80s. Um, It's been ascribed to the European Common Market Regulations on duck eggs. So it's not always about cabbage. Um, So the duck egg version has actually been mentioned twice in Parliament. It's been mentioned in newspapers. It's um, it's referred to caramel and foghorns. Um, so yeah, it's it's really fascinating, sort of seeing the way it's it's sort of spread and changed. Another area that the report looks at is uh, massaging of the figures, so to speak, misleading polls. You look at a poll, and one person may take. Uh, one side of the story with the same numbers and the other person could tell a different story again using the same numbers. Now, this was a much more recent example that you looked at and it concerned last year's prorogation. What was the example that you picked out? At that time, uh, there was a front page splash in the Telegraph um, that was public backs Johnson to shut down Parliament for Brexit. Um, And it claimed that more than half, 54% of the public, supported uh, suspension of Parliament. The problem was that the results showed a completely different picture, really. 44% of those who'd been polled agreed, 37% disagreed, and 19% said they didn't know. So in order to reach that 54% figure, they just excluded the people who said they didn't know. That's actually a valid and appropriate thing to do when reporting polling findings that are estimating voting intention. But when you're talking about public sentiment... You absolutely should include don't know. It's a very legitimate point of view. And this should have been made clear. And actually, it does does change the thrust of the story, which is, you know, there isn't a majority support if it's 44%. Thank you very much, Becky. That's Becky Hill there, policy manager and one of the writers of the report. Now, uh, Tom and I will be tackling in the last five minutes your questions because it's time for our section of Ask Full Fact. Remember, each week we want your questions. You can just record your question uh, on your phone and email it to us, uh, podcast at fullfact.org. Now, the first question uh, was written, but I still think it was a very, very good question, which is why we want to deal with it. And I know Full Fact have looked into this. And the question was, why have migrant workers been flown in to pick fruit aren't they just taking away UK jobs? Tom, you've looked into this. What did you find? This isn't a thing you can fact check exactly. It's, but it's something where understanding the context of it a bit uh, helps. So there have been some flights chartered, uh, six flights at least chartered uh, privately by agricultural firms to bring in some workers from Eastern Europe to help 
pick crops in the UK. At the same time, there has been this big scheme to try and get people who may be out of work or followed to do some of the work because the farming industry says that they need, you know, tens of thousands of people. Uh, otherwise, the crops will be rotting in the fields. Where this comes from is that lots of people have said that they applied and were turned down for these mm. crop picking jobs. It's not possible for us to say that, you know, did anybody take a job that could have gone to a British person? That's a level of detail that simply we don't have access to that information. But the context for this is that the organisations, the agricultural companies who are bringing these people in, say that these are experienced farm workers and that they are needed to help train up the new British workers who may not have any experience in this. Obviously, I think lots of people think of fruit picking as being an unskilled job, but actually these firms say, for example, there needs to be an awareness of food safety regulations and things like that, which are in fact quite important. So the idea that, you know, anybody can just go out and do it is wrong. You actually need people who have experience of this, who understand those issues to help train up the workforce who are applying. They've also said that while there has been a huge expression of interest in these uh, roles uh, working on farms during this period, they've actually struggled to place uh, British applicants with them because actually while there's a lot of expressions of interest, uh, when those people are then offered interviews, the number drops dramatically. And then when those people are offered jobs, the number drops dramatically again. So there was a report in the Financial Times that only a few hundred people had actually taken up these roles out of the tens of thousands who've applied. As I say, it's a complex issue and it just it's one where understanding the context of it a bit uh, can sort of help you interpret some of the claims you might have seen going around. Our next question comes from Sarah. I think I've read that there's quite a big gender difference between um, men and women in terms of numbers of people dying from the virus. And I wondered, A, is, is that true? And B, if so, what's the latest thinking on maybe what the reasons why are? So I'm going to take that in two parts. Um, yes, is the answer to the first bit. Uh, there is a gender gap, certainly in deaths. Um, in the UK, according to the latest figures that we have, it's about 60-40. 60% of deaths are in men, and about 40% of deaths are in women. And this is a pattern that's reflected across many countries around the world. Broadly speaking, men seem to be much more likely to die of COVID-19 than women. The second part, why, we don't know. Um, there are a range of possible explanations, but we simply don't have the evidence yet to be able to say which one of that it is. It's possible that there is a biological difference. So, for example, women generally have stronger immune systems than men do. And also men may be more vulnerable generally to the kind of underlying conditions that make you more likely to die from COVID-19, such as heart disease. But then there are also suggestions that this could be partly behavioural. Uh, so men may be social distancing less in the first place and so may be more likely to catch it. Um, but also one of the big uh, hypotheses is that maybe men are less likely to seek medical treatment. Don't want to play too heavily on stereotypes here, but generally there does seem to be evidence that men are more reluctant to seek medical treatment for ill health than women are, uh, and that that may be a reason why they're more likely to die is because they're seeking treatment later or not at all. However, I have to say those are all just educated guesses from experts right now, but they're all pretty clear. We don't yet have the evidence to say exactly why this gender disparity is there. OK, Sarah, thank you for your question. Uh, last question is from Tim. 
Hi, this is Tim in London. I just wanted to know how the government calculate PPE that they say they're receiving or getting sent. Do they calculate one pair of gloves as one or each glove as one or a box of gloves as one? How is it actually calculated? So this comes off the back of a Panorama programme earlier this week, which uh, said that, yes, in some cases, the government was counting one single glove as an item of PP and that this was therefore supposedly inflating the numbers. This is something that we're looking into. However... It turns out that getting reliable and accurate information on PPE and understanding how NHS procurement works, as I mentioned earlier with the Jennifer Saunders thing, is a hugely complicated topic. Um, and it's so it's certainly not the case that the numbers are inflated simply because of the counting one glove as a single item thing. There are a whole load of questions about what do you even count as PPE in the first place? And obviously, this is also a shifting target because the amount of PPE needs to be replenished week by week by week. And so sort of a Mm. lot of these figures that we're jumping off are, in fact, weeks old and so don't reflect the situation on the ground right now. So, yeah, uh, this is uh, an admission of um, not quite failure. uh, But yes, we don't actually have that uh, fact check ready for this podcast. And I think it's worth saying that because, as I mentioned earlier, as Becky was mentioning with press office ping pong and things like that, Doing a fact check takes time. Doing a fact check well takes a lot of time sometimes. And it is one of those things where you can sometimes, you know, you think that something will be relatively easy to look into. And then you're days or even weeks later realising that you're only just scratching the surface. How easy is it for you guys to get that information that you need? This is something that we struggle with in the best of times. There is a lot of information that is held that isn't made available in the ways that we think it should be. And during a pandemic like this, it's even harder. Well, this fact check will be coming out uh, soon, as you heard there from Tom. So be sure to check the website, fullfact.org. And of course, we will bring it to you in this podcast as soon uh, as it's been published. Uh, Tom, uh, as always, thank you. It's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. And I hope that uh, all the fact checking will be very useful to the listeners. Regular listeners will also know that we promised a deep dive into the facts behind the UK death figures. And of course, if you've been following the news, as you can appreciate, that along with PPE, looking at the exact death figures is also a very, very tricky uh, subject. But I can assure you that the full fact team are working full time uh, to bring you this. The team are still working on that one and will be able to go through all their findings on uh, a future podcast. Uh, As always, thank you for listening to the Full Fact Podcast. You can find uh, all the episodes and any future episodes on Acast, iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you can think of. Please be sure to subscribe and also give us a review. Always helps. Uh, And of course, you'll find the next podcast every Friday morning delivered to your device. That's all from us. Have a wonderful week. 